Hello. Today on How to Be a Human Being, we're talking about listening to our intuition with Tila. Tila works with women in Israel to change their lives and businesses. We had an excellent conversation about having a positive attitude and letting that lead to building trust in your own intuition. You can find Tila at www.bioforbiz.com. Let's get to the episode. Um, my name is Tila Loni. I'm an extrasensory business consultant, a homeopath, and the CEO of an access control company. I used to be the national judo champion of Israel for about seven years when I was younger, and uh, later I became a, a boot camp commander in the Israeli in the idea of the Israeli army. That is a very interesting life. I have a couple questions for you. We we met initially over Reddit, and what interested me in talking to you was your story about judo. So I kind of want to start with that. How did you start getting into judo? Well, when I was um, when I was four, I had a neighbor which was uh, one year older than me, and she was in judo, and she basically used to beat me up. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I wanted my mom to send me to judo, but my mom said that uh, until I don't, you know, start until I don't start school, then I'd have to wait. So I waited a whole year till I was old enough, and then I started doing judo <laughs> for at the age of uh, five and a half. Five and a half. So how long did you do judo for? Um, from f- from the age of five till till after I was eighteen. I was also, uh, I, I think, when I was, if I remember correctly, about the age of eleven or twelve, I. I made the national team, and and then I started my serious training once I also joined the the national Israeli team. So joining a national team like that, that's got to be a huge time commitment. Yeah, definitely. At the time when I joined, I was I was extremely ambitious <laughs> when I was young, and at the time I wasn't aware of the perks, which were uh, flying abroad to to training camps and competitions. And that was amazing. I really enjoyed the social side of it. And I must say that I didn't enjoy training. Training was very hard. And also, uh, judo also involves weight categories. So you always have to be watching your diet. And there were uh, there was some point where I had to lose eight kilos. I don't know how much that is in pounds, but um, I think it's about 16 pounds. Uh, I used to lose, during three weeks, I used to lose eight pounds. And then the last week, I had to lose the remaining eight pounds. So I just, you know, we didn't, I didn't eat and I did, hardly drank anything. And that's just the way it was because you were always encouraged to uh, participate in the weight category, which was below your natural weight. So it was very, very difficult and very demanding. And uh, I only enjoyed, I enjoyed, I only continued because it was part of my identity. I enjoyed winning and I enjoyed the social side. But most of the time, I must admit that I, I suffered quite a lot. Yeah, I know. Um, here in the U.S., that's how a lot of young men, when they wrestle, they'll, you know, be encouraged to drop five, ten pounds to get down to that next category. And then they'll put a bunch of weight back on right before the match. They'll drink a bunch of water, start eating a bunch of food right after they weigh in. I, I was focusing more on wh- making the weight than on the competition. <laughs> I used to just, <laughs> I used to be, you know, I used, I used to fly. And I wasn't uh, um, unusual in that respect. You know, most of the team uh, was that way. So we used to focus on on making the weight. You know, we used to starve ourselves. I remember running in cor- in hotel corridors, wearing layers upon layers of, of warm clothes and plastic bags in order to, to, to sweat and lose weight, you know, in liquids. And then I was just thinking about uh, the hotel breakfast after I weighed in, you know, and after I used to stuff myself with the hotel breakfast and the last thing I wanted to do afterwards was compete. 
So what was the main thing that motivated you to keep going? I mean, seven years as a, a, a judo champion, that's a long time to be at the top of a sport. Yeah, uh, I think it was, first of all, I was young. I didn't have much of, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience in life in general. And judo was what defined me. And I enjoyed, you know, flying abroad. It was part of my identity. It made me special. I used to get, you know, I missed school in order to be in a training camp in different places in the world, which was amazing. So I really enjoyed that. And I think it also, I think it was a very important part of my development because it made me very resilient and it gave me a very strong sense of discipline and a strong sense of accomplishment. And I think it was great, but it was it was good for the first stage in my life. Later on, I moved on to different stages. I see it as one of the the first most important stages of my development. And also, I think it's very important to keep in mind that as in an, especially in an individual sports, athletes are, especially, you know, I can just say about myself, a very self-centered and egotistical because, because it's always about how I'm going to win, how I'm going to become the best. And it's also a zero-sub game. Uh, you're always fighting against someone else for your place. So you said something there that, you know, it built resilience and discipline for you. Kind of moving on through the rest of your life, how can you see that resilience and discipline show up in different parts of your life? Uh, that's a very good question. I learned to trust myself. I knew that if I made a decision, I would stick to it no matter what. So if I decide I was going to lose those 16 pounds in a month, you know, I will, I will do that. Regardless of what it took, I would meet my goals. So that's a very uh, specific kind of discipline. And I think it was good for that stage. But later on, as I moved on in life, when I became a boot camp trainer for new recruits, which is something that re requires you to be completely selfless and in a thankless job, actually made the flip from being someone who's very self-centered and, and, and selfish into someone who, who completely gives themselves for, for someone else, which is basically the, the new recruits. Again, I, ha I had to be extreme, extremely self-disciplined, and I also had to apply the discipline to, to the soldiers. I, I was basically the bad guy. Uh, so that's, that's the next stage. But as I grew, and I think that's one of the things I want to talk about today, as I grew, I learned that there has to be a very fine balance in discipline. Discipline has to be, I, I learned the importance of uh, what, what I call soft discipline, which means that you're disciplined and you know that if you want to be complete, that if you make a decision with your mind, you know that you can follow up if you want to on that decision and it will happen. However, the importance of soft discipline, I think, and the higher a higher awareness is that you're also willing to, to listen and be soft. First of all, towards yourself. If one time I decided that my training regime would be waking up every day at five o'clock in the morning and training, I later on learned to listen to myself and respect myself. And if I felt that I needed more sleep, I would respect that and not train that day. And that took a lot for me to realize the, the importance and value of, of a soft discipline that actually also makes room for flexibility. I think you can only apply that sort of soft discipline once you know that if you have to be, I'd call it in, in the, maybe the hard discipline, I, I, I can't think of a better, better way to, to coin the phrase. If you know that you can be 100% disciplined if you decide to be. Maybe I can put it in a way it's a little bit different. The, the hard discipline is almost forcing yourself to go do the thing that you know you should do. Exactly. And then the soft discipline is 
realizing that sometimes your body can't handle the hard discipline every single day. Sometimes it needs a little bit of extra rest or it needs maybe a little bit of extra calories for that day. Exactly. I'd say self-discipline is a, a much more gentle approach where you respect not only your body, but you respect, uh, your, you respect deeper needs. It's, it's if in the hard discipline, I used to completely disregard my physical needs and it was completely mind over matter, etc. With the soft discipline, I learned to respect and I made room for an inner voice, a new inner voice that I saw, I, I, you know, maybe if I didn't feel when and I let myself rest and uh, I wouldn't tidy up or clean the house. So if I were coming from the hard discipline point of view, I think, think that I would, you know, I might consider myself lazy. But if I listened to that voice, I saw that if I gave myself two hours of rest, I, I cleaned the house or did, did chores that I needed to do from a completely different place. I did them from, a, it was much easier for me to do it. I had, didn't have to force myself. It's almost like the self-discipline, I invited myself to do things. And I also respected myself. Yeah, listening to both sides, that mental hardness or maybe easiness and that physical hardness or maybe easiness. You know, it's, in sports, it's very clear but as you as as I grew older, and uh, life became much more complicated, because <laughs> sports and competition, everything is very black and white. Either you're a winner or you're a loser. But you learn as boy grow up, you learn you learn the the different shades of gray. The more I I, I made room for this inner voice uh, within myself, then I that's how my intuition grew. That inner voice made room for my intuition. And that's how I started developing my, my extrasensory abilities from that softness. It didn't come from the hardness and the strictness that I used to apply to myself. It actually came from, from, from a place that for me, it was very unexpected because I, I grew up uh, with, the, you know, with the belief that you, in order to achieve your goals, you had to set out your goals. You had to be you know, very focused and very determined. But it's a less flexible attitude, and I learned the power of flexibility as as I as I grew up. So, what do you think happened in your life to make that shift from the hard discipline to having more respect for your body and making a room for an inner voice? Um, well, first of all, I um, my body has has its limits, and and I had to quit judo because I uh, I, I injured my knee twice. So much you can you can push yourself so much. Until something breaks, either mentally or physically. Um, I think the beauty of reality, in a way, is that if you're not doing things uh, correctly, then then life sort of gives you feedback and, and you feel the pain uh, when you're not doing things correctly. So pain is, is a very good teacher. So the more I concentrated on, on my happiness and how to be happy, and uh, I studied lots of spiritual studies and Kabbalah, the, the Jewish spiritual studies, then I learned to be softer. And, and reality, like I say, reality is the best teacher. If you, if you just learn how to read the signs. You said something that I love, and that's if you're not doing things correctly, life gives you feedback. What kind of feedback has life given you? How can you interpret that feedback and change the things about your life you're not doing correctly? But that's that's a that's an excellent question. I can say I, I can either I, I can either answer that in the 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 macro or the micro. <laughs> uh, 
but I think uh, the the macro actually I think is more difficult to to uh, to interpret because sometimes things can happen to us like we can have a crisis and we think it's the worst thing at the time but it leads to to a huge uh, growth and and change like we might be fired from from a job that we really like and then it forces us to start our own business which is actually following our dreams and and being fired uh, what seemed at the time as being you know a very bad thing being fired was actually the best thing that happened to us maybe on a macro level i think maybe it's more difficult to talk about that but i think on a micro level on a daily day-to-day basis i think uh, as a mother <laughs> i think my children provide the best feedback my state of mind or the way i'm behaving i can see it straight away on my children so i don't think you have to go very far uh, to look for this feedback i think you can get this feedback you know at every given moment it's also in in how you personally feel about yourself and how the people around you which are for you i say the people you love and and that you know that love you um react to you so this is sitting really really well with me i absolutely love this topic especially on the micro level um an example i have is food um you know if you're not eating correctly your body will give you the feedback to say, hey, maybe, maybe because I had a stomach ache after I ate all that sugary garbage food, maybe that's my body telling me something. Is that kind of on the same line? Definitely, definitely. That's a great example. Um, do you have any more examples, maybe that you've seen in your own life? I I work with people all the time, and at the end of the day, life is about marketing. You know, you can market from from the way you market uh, to your children. We're going to have a lovely day today, and come, let's get into the car, so you'll have a great day. To to the way you you present things to other people. Now, marketing is also about the way how you believe things are. It's about perspective. If you present, for example, in homeopathy, uh, part of the healing process sometimes includes a return of old symptoms, meaning that if someone used to suffer, for example, from tonsillitis or throat pain when they were young, part of the healing process is that they might get the throat, the throat pain might come back when they're older as part of the healing process. So if you, if you, it's all a matter of how you present it to them. You can say, you can tell them, I'm so sorry that your throat is sore. Let's see how we can do it. Let's see what I can give you to help you with your throat. Or I can tell them, listen, this is a really good sign. It means that you're taking a good remedy. And that part of the healing process is that things that weren't resolved properly when you were younger are coming up again to be resolved, whether it's physical or mental symptoms. And once you present it to them in that way, they're much more accepting. I think in general life, if I were to think about uh, a formula for, uh, for personal evolution, I'd say that it's time multiplied by pain divided by your resistance. It's pain multiplied by by the time you spend in that painful zone, I'd call it, divided by your resistance. So the more you resist to to a process that you're going through, the more the the less you will the, the less you involve and the more painful it is. But once you know and you agree that the fact that now you're suffering from this throat ache, but it's coming up now in order to be resolved, then it's, first of all, you suffer much less and also you evolve much faster through the process. And the same is also when, when I'd say we market or we market or interpret the 
reality for ourselves. I can see something and I can say, oh, this is the worst thing that has happened to me. Oh, you know, or I can say, okay, this is a great opportunity that has happened for me in order to grow. Yeah. And I think you mentioned one earlier that, you know, losing your job can be one of those things that can be either seen in a negative way or a positive way. That this could be a really bad thing for my family. I won't be able to pay my bills. I won't be able to live in this house. Or it can be a good thing of, wow, look at this time that I have. I have all this time I can go start my business and follow my dreams. Exactly. It's all, you know, it's it's a cliche, but it's so true. It's all a matter of, of perspective. And perspective is also, you train, I think one can train, you know, oneself to have a positive perspective. The more you train and work on having a positive perspective, it already is part of you. You don't have to work hard for it. it just, it's just the way you interpret reality and the things that happen to you. How can we use that saying, life is all about marketing, to help train our intuition? I think, first of all, life is all about marketing. At the end of the day, is how, how you sell reality to yourself. Look, marketing sounds, in a way... It, it can sound negative in a way because you're thinking marketing and usually, you know, marketing in many cases, um, it, it presents a, a false idea about a certain product. So I'm not sure that life is all about marketing has the, the best uh, connotation for most people. But I do think it's important that you one makes a conscious effort to to paint things or occurrences in a, in a positive way. Now, when I say positive... I don't mean that you have to ignore um, the pain or you have to ignore uh, negative feelings that, that come up, okay? Because if you ignore that, that's, that's already suppressing your feelings and that, that's actually something that I don't think is very good. But it's acknowledging negative feelings and acknowledging something that might come up that is uncomfortable or inconvenient, like I say, like using your job, but knowing that there is a higher purpose for that. And that it can be an opportunity if you choose to use it for something much greater than where you are today. And from that place, once you train to, once you reach that, that place, so in general, I think you're, you're in a much calmer and clearer state of mind. And from there, you can hear your intuition. And how do you follow that intuition? That, that's an excellent question. And I think what the, the way I started out was that I'd used to, I, I used to listen to my, or, or give room to my intuition when it was in making decisions that were unimportant. So it's like, you know, like a child that when you encourage them to answer questions, they become more and more confident and then they give more and more answers. So the same thing was I, I used to like walk in the walk in the woods and then I would say, do I want to go left or right? And I used to just go where I wanted to. I didn't try to rationalize, you know, I used to turn left just because I wanted to turn left. I didn't try to rationalize why I turned left. I didn't say, okay, I'll turn left or right. Just the first thing that, the first inclination that came up, I followed on it. So it started by making, I'd say, meaningless decisions. And the more I respected that inner voice, you know, just the the first I'd say maybe even impulsive choice that came to mind in 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 things that were meaningless, the louder it became 
uh, where things were had more meaning. And and like I had to, when I met people, I had a gut feeling about someone. And the less I try to rationalize why I don't want to meet with this person and convince myself that I should meet with someone, for instance, or I should do this. And I just, I just, you know, did things because I, it felt right or didn't do something because it felt wrong. That's when I, you know, my intuition grew louder and louder because I gave it more and more place and I gave it more respect. And and so gradually I involved my intuition in in decisions with, that were in with with higher and higher importance. But it started started off with the little things, with the meaningless things, so to speak. So kind of what I hear you saying, and it's not exactly what you said, but starting off with things that are small and insignificant is a good way to learn how to trust your intuition. Exactly. Practice and training. It's everything's a learning curve in life. So you want to practice and train with the things that in the beginning with things that are insignificant and meaningless. And and later on, you 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 take on the bigger things. But I think it's also very important to to respect your gut feelings. You know, I, I used to work, one of the things I did was I used to work for LL security, that's the airline security. And uh, and one of the things that that they they say is that even if if you if you questioning someone you know and you suspect you don't know why you suspect them but you suspect them you just got a gut feeling that this person is a suspect then that's good enough for them you know you're supposed to report that person and then we they'll take you know more stronger steps to check him out and one of the things that they that they also taught was that. If you were inexperienced, the chances are that you might find someone suspect based on a gut feeling. There are more chances that you find someone suspect based on a gut feeling. And the more experienced you are, you'll be able to put your finger exactly on why that person is, is suspect. So that that also showed me that that you know intuition is something that it's also subconsciously we know how to see the signs. I remember meeting a speaking to a diamond dealer. And he said, the first thing I look at when I come to buy a diamond is not the diamond. I look at the person who's selling it. So I think we're all keyed to, to these social skills, you know, and to gut feelings and intuitive, making intuitive decisions when it comes to, to, to other people. And in general, it's just how much you, you respect what, what, what you feel and, and don't try to always rationalize it. Yeah. I love that. That feeling can be a sometimes better way to go about living life than overanalyzing everything and taking everything and by face value and just saying, okay, here's the numbers. Does it make sense? But is there anywhere in life where you should just not listen to your gut? I think there are many places where it's difficult to differentiate where the inner voice is coming from, okay? There actually sometimes you you might think that you're listening to your gut feeling when you want to you know just slam the door <laughs> and uh, and get out of uh, you know a situation that that you're uncomfortable with and you you're like yes of course I'm I'm following my gut feeling I'm you know I'm my gut feeling told me I wanted you know to to slam the door and to to cut all ties with that person but it's not necessary you have to know. That's why that's where the brain comes in. <laughs> you can't be all emotions and all heart. The brain always has to see. I think you have to use the brain as a 
as a way to to understand where where things are coming from because we can imagine that something is coming from our intuition like if someone's uh, phobic or they're constantly afraid of uh, of uh, of something for instance they keep they keep on thinking that someone's going to break into their house they have the, they're afraid of burglars and they they might attribute that to their gut feeling or their intuition but but it's not their intuition it's it's their fear so i think that's why I said that you have to that, that you you first use your 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 intuition with with insignificant uh, decisions because the more you grow uh, what what I think is what I use I use spiritual principles that I I've learned with my brain in order to evaluate the feelings or the emotions that come up and then it's easier for me to determine whether um, it's really an intuitive decision that I'm making, or it's a decision that this decision that that's made out of an emotion which is which is a negative emotion. So those emotions might be like anger or malice or lust or kind of those negative emotions. Probably think twice before you act on that. Yeah, exactly. Because I think if you uh, you you it has to be it, it's very tricky if it was if, if it were if it were easy it wouldn't be you know part of life is learning to differentiate where where things are coming from where your where your desires are coming whether they're coming from a place that's base and low or from a higher place so i think it's like what kabbalah speaks about jewish kabbalah is it talks about there's there's lights and their vessels and the light is something that we we can't control that comes from from the infinite and there's and we are vessels and the purer the vessel is the the more it can actually bring through it light it's like uh, it's like a radio so if you remember those old radios where where you had that knob and you kind of moved the knob and when it was on the right station uh, then you could hear clearly but as soon as you move the knob a bit to the left or to the right you'd hear static or or background noise and you wouldn't hear clearly. So I think, and also it also depends on how good your radio was. So I think that life is all about basically working on, on your vessel, on making your vessel, the purer your vessel, the the more you're able to, to receive um, and connect to something that's higher than you and act upon that. I have a similar analogy with a glass window. You know, you might have curtains in front of the window. It still lets some light in. But when you open up those curtains, you see clearly. And then you see, oh, there's a little bit of dust on my window. So you go out and clean the window. And now you're really seeing, you're getting the full effect of the light through that window. Yeah, that's that's a great analogy. I have loved this conversation. Before we finish up here, is there anything else you want to chat about? I think we quite, you know, we quite covered quite a bit. I think the world would be a better place if everyone would focus on basically purifying their own vessel and being able to, you know, so they could bring light to the world than than on other things. Where can people find you? I ha- I have a website. It's called bioforbiz.com. That's my website. Um, I also have a LinkedIn, Tilaloni. Ideally, what I love to do is take a woman who who owns a small business, help her with the extrasensory business consultancy, and also give her homeopathic remedy. 
because what a homeopathic remedy does, it helps people break patterns because life is always, I see people keep on repeating the same pattern. It's just, you know, with a different setting. And a part of growing is, is growing above, above these patterns. And that's what I love to do. I love to see women go through these changes and overcome patterns that have been with them for, for a lifetime and just grow above that. Thanks again to Tila for the words of wisdom about following our intuition. And thanks to the sponsor of this podcast, Level 10 Life Coach. To learn more about their 15-day digital detox, visit level10lifecoach.com. The biggest thanks goes out to our listeners. Thanks for joining the journey and learning how to be a human being.